On this episode, we are differentiating an employee versus 1099 contractor. So we're going to help you classify whether your team is an employee or a contractor. Next, we talk about the consequences of categorizing them incorrectly, how the IRS and state rules will help you make this determination and the questions you need to ask yourself. At the end, we go over how you can pay your team, whether they're, if you determine their employee or contractor. And as always, if this episode helped you or brought you value, please do me a favor and share it with a friend. Thank you and enjoy the show. Welcome to Build Your Wealth Muscle, a podcast dedicated to helping fitness entrepreneurs build wealth by saving taxes and growing their money. Each episode will break down different strategies in the areas of business, tax, and retirement planning specifically for your coaching business. Disclaimer, the topics covered in this podcast are for educational purposes only. This is not advice for your specific situation. Please consult a qualified financial or tax professional before making any changes to your financial or tax situation. Now here's your host, certified financial planner and tax advisor, Pat Darby. Hey, what's going on everybody? Welcome to episode 48. For those who are unfamiliar with this show and how it works, it's basically two show formats. <clears throat> There's the solo episode like today, where I can go pretty deep on specific topics of finance, tax, wealth management, business. And then there's episodes where we bring on a guest and they will be experts in their specific area or they have a successful business or something that we can learn from them in the world of business, sales, marketing, or if they're a fitness professional, like what they're doing to differentiate themselves in the marketplace. But today is, like I said, a solo episode. So we're going to really dive deep into what I think is a bit of a misconception and, you know, for those who don't know, like sometimes these episodes get recorded in advance. Sometimes they're just a couple of days before they're released. Today in particular, I really wasn't sure what I was going to talk about. I was actually doing some research. And I, I didn't finish that research. I was doing a lot of the research on the new Inflation Reduction Act to want to bring you those details, but I didn't finish that yet. So I was scrambling for a topic and thankfully uh, some friends at the gym asked me a question. And so that's it made me think that there's probably other people with that similar question. So I wanted to dive into this with people. And it's really talking about how you pay your your team. Like if they're going to be an employee or if they're and if which point you have to bring them onto payroll, or are they going to be a 1099 independent contractor? <clears throat> and one of the myths that that we can dispel right out of the gate is it's really not up to you per se. There's rules. And there's rules at the federal level. And then more importantly, there's a r rules in your state. And I'm going to dive into what those are. I'm going to give you some of them. On the federal level, there's 20 questions that they ask. I'm not going to read all 20 to you, but I'll, I'll go through a bunch of them. And then I'll dive into at the very end what some of the state ones are that are a little more strict. And I'm sure if you've been listening to me for any length of time, or you just pay attention to the news, you know which states are going to have the shitty rules. <laughs> you know, spoiler alert, it's California, but there's a few that follow along with them. So let's dive into how you can pay your team. And before we dive into the details at the end, I'm going to give you some of the consequences of getting this wrong. Um, because I think it gets, I think a lot more people have it wrong than we think. And you'll, as you're listening to this, you know, apply these to your fitness business and you might find that 
there's people that you've misclassified. Like they might be working as an independent contractor. And after going through these, you might realize, you know, they're pretty much an employee. It's not fun per se to pay extra for them, but that, that is the reality. You're supposed to do that. You, well, not supposed to, you have to, because I'll read those in a minute, but there are some consequences for, for getting this wrong. So, all right. So the first myth is there's no such thing as a 1099 employee. It's basically, that's a combination of the two that doesn't exist. So you're either an independent contractor or an employee. So here's some more myths that the, the, your company and your, let's say your head coach, whatever it is, you can just agree that they're going to be an independent contractor because again, this is this show about finance and tax. So I would love it if everyone was an independent contractor, because that makes you a business owner and that, that opens up the entire tax code to your benefit. But the reality is that's not how it works. So you can't just agree with your your coach or the person on your team and say, all right, we both think it's better for you if you're an independent contractor. It doesn't work that way. You can't just contract it away. You can't just have a really good legal document that says, hey, I'm an independent contractor. So boom, I am. The IRS and the states don't care about that. That's not the way it works as well. Uh, same thing with going a step further you, that your coach or whoever, they can't just form an, an entity like an LLC, get a business license and then say, all right, well now I'm an independent contractor. Cause as you'll see from the, 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 uh, the items I'm going to name after this, there's a few, there's a lot more to the testing. So you'll see like just throwing them in an LLC, but they fail all the other tests that doesn't work. That won't get the job done just because they're short term or casual employees does not mean they're necessarily a 1099. Like they could easily be a part-time employee. The last one is if, because you, if you're trying to get them to have their home office written off and things like that, the business, your business could pick up those expenses for them. Again, just because you want them to have these write-offs and save yourself some money, you can't just wish it. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people that are going to actually be on your team that are probably employees, full employees that should be on your payroll. And so what happens if you misclassify an employee? This is important because it's stricter than you think. And a lot of this is, is regulated, not just by the IRS, but by the department of labor. So and I actually had a friend that this happened to, he was paying his people, this is slightly different, but he was paying his people under the table. And unfortunately for him, there was, uh, I don't even want to say disgruntled, but long story short, the person called the department of labor and said, Hey, I'm getting paid under the table. And they went in and audited the business. He got in a lot of trouble. It could come back to bite you because you're independent contractors that are really employees Maybe they go, maybe you let them go for whatever reason and they're trying to file for unemployment and they get rejected. And then they're like, well, I was working for this person. Now you're in a lot of trouble because you were supposed to have been paying them, paying for them wages, unemployment, things like that. And so this is how it can easily come back to you. Like I'm just trying to emphasize how it's, it's not as unique as you think for or it's easier than you think for this to come back to bite you 
Um, but here's some of the, the issues with misclassifying. Because again, I'm not trying to scare you, but I want to emphasize the importance of, of why this can go awry as a business owner. And a lot of what I talk about and a lot of financial people, it's like the risks involved with your business. You know, it's, it's very sexy bringing in new clients, all the revenue, but how you protect that from unforeseen events. This is one of the things following the rules so that you don't open yourself up for a lot of problems. The first consequence is, is what I sort of just talked about, but legal actions brought by a worker or a group of workers. Again, if, if you're classifying them as independent contractors, but they're really employees and they go to sue you, like there's, they have some legal merit. And again, I'm not, I talk about, I'm not a lawyer. It's not legal advice. I'm just trying to give you the broad strokes to, to help you out. If they, if you are not withholding taxes from them, there could be penalties and interest on what you should have been paying them. Because again, if, if they're supposed to be an employee and you have them as a contractor, these all, these all default to your local laws. So if you're paying them below minimum wage as a contractor, that might be cool if they're legitimately a contractor. But if they can come back and say, no, I was an employee and you were underpaying me because of the minimum wage laws in, in your state or city or whatever it is, you could owe in penalties and interest on that difference. And again, these are all imposed by the federal and the state levels. Uh, the next one, failure to include them in the retirement plan. You know, like I'm on here a lot talking about the advantages of solo 401ks. And like, there's a lot of perks when you work for yourself and you do just have like the gig economy supporting you because then you can really maximize the advantages of your 401k plan and your retirement plans. But those ERISA rules, E-R-I-S-A, and I'm blanking on the full usage of that term, but things like employee retirement, something. But basically it protects people who are your employees so that you can't just be a greedy owner and fund your own retirement and then screw them. So if they find that you you're been, you have these contractors that are really employees, you've been stuffing your retirement plans and neglecting them, you could owe back all the matching that you should have been doing for them. It can get very ugly. Now, here's the really crappy part about it. it the failure of the business or all these penalties if you've been misclassifying workers, this is one of the times when they can disallow this debt. Like again, if you owe back taxes, if you owe 401k requirements, these are some of the financial costs that you cannot necessarily discharge in bankruptcy. So these could be with you for a long, long time if you get behind on this. And in the most extreme cases, there's criminal charges filed for, for misclassifying workers. I've not personally seen that, but that's, uh, I haven't seen a lot of these regulations come down hard on people, but I, I just think that in general, this is something you have to really take into consideration because it's very, it's not a problem until it's a problem, <laughs> you know, like, like most, most things. So I don't want to belabor the, the scary side of it. I just want to emphasize why if you have the, the people and you're like, well, I'm trying to save money, let's get that out of out of the way because it's not about saving money. It's about doing it right because of the massive consequences that could 
incur if they find that you've been doing doing this for years and something happens to somebody and now there's a loss, you probably wouldn't fare too well. So I'm going to first go over the questions that the IRS asks. There's 20 questions. I'm not going to read all of them, like I said. And after I go through all of those, I'm going to read what some of the state ones are. There's only a few there, but they're stricter. Unfortunately, if you if you've heard of the, you know, if you're from California or you're living there, you've probably heard of these and it's it's becoming a problem. But uh, we'll dive into those first. First, let's do the or sorry, we'll dive into the state ones second. Let's go into the federal ones first. So again, these are all the questions they ask. So it's not necessarily just one or two. First one, does the worker receive instructions about where, when, and how to perform the work. So that's kind of straightforward in that like they're trying to see if if they're truly under your thumb or if like a lot of contractors, you're just like, this is what I need done. And they just do it, you know, especially like if you're working with like Upwork, those are so easy to see because it's like, oh, I just need this designed. You don't tell them when to do it. You know, obviously you might have like a deadline when it's due, but you know, if they're in a different time zone and they're working while you're sleeping, stuff like the next question, ask yourself, does the worker receive training? So again, they're trying to differentiate whether like they're part of your organization or if they come ready to go, like you hire them to do a job and they know how to do it and they just give you the result. Are the workers services integrated into your company's business? So like an independent contract, your services are often intended to achieve like a specific one-time result. Conversely, like an employee's ongoing services are critical to your company. And again, like if you compare these to like a Fortune 500 company or like all the, the normal, quote unquote, normal companies, you start to see the, dif- the differentiation and again, start asking yourself these questions about some of the coaches and some of the, the people on your team Again, I think that you're going to find a lot of them are actually employees of yours, not contractors. If, if they're really a part of what you do, you, the company owner, hire your workers assistants. Like that's a big one because if like you're hiring the, if the, an employee works for the company that you hire, their assistants, their coworkers, the people that support them then they're likely an employee because independent contractors would generally hire and pay their own assistants. So again, that's start to think about these things. Like I'm hoping like everyone, I won't keep saying it, but hopefully you're starting to ask yourself these questions. Cause if you have someone that's 1099, but you have their entire support structure paid for, they're probably an employee. Must the worker submit regular reports concerning their work progress? That's one to just think about. Does the company pay the workers' expenses? Again, if you're an independent contractor, you pay your own expenses. Like you have an agreed upon contract price, but you pay your own expenses. Do you, the company, supply the tools and materials? Again, like start thinking about like contractors for construction and things like that. Like they bring all their own stuff. They're, you know, if you hire them, you don't also give them the tools, like they show up to your place with the tools, do the job and you pay them. Does the worker have little or no investment at stake? Because again, like an independent contractor should have their own equipment, facilities and things like that. 
So they, they have something at risk to complete the job versus an employee. And again, this is, this is the debate that gets left out from the liberal side when they start, the, I should say the progressive liberals, when they talk about wanting the employees to have equity and it's like, well, you have to take the risks as well. You know, that's the whole problem. They want uh, us business owners to share in the profits, but not the losses, you know? So not going to go on that political rant, but that's one of the tests here. Your workers have little or no investment at stake because contractors would have investments at stake because they're bringing their own facilities and equipment to the table. Again, that's the next one is, is the worker protected against loss? Because again, if something happens to the company, a worker loses their job. You, the owner, are on the hook for what just happened or any debts that the company has. And here's a big one. Now, this the, the next one, I think this is a big one. Does the worker have only one client or customer? That's the part that I think is going to trip up a bunch of you listening because you have these coaches and they're 1099s for you, but they're really only working for you. So they're under your umbrella. They don't, they don't, if you are giving them so many clients that they are uh, busy 24 seven, for lack of a better term, and they're not taking clients on their own or they're not doing like what they're doing for you for other people or other businesses, that's more likely making them an employee. So the next ones are similar. Is a worker offering their services to the public? And then there's the, the next two are very similar. Is there a right to fire? An employee can easily fire or an employee can be easily fired by their employer, whereas an independent contractor can't easily be fired if they do what is in the contract. Same thing with the right to quit. An employee has the right to quit. An independent contractor like they signed a contract to complete the job that is at hand, obviously the terms of the contract, but like, you get what I'm saying? Like they're not, they can't just quit. Like if you've paid them to do a service, they have to do the service or reimburse you, whatever the case may be versus an employee can just quit. And then they don't, you don't pay them after that. Are there set working hours? That's another one. So if you're telling your coaches when they need to be doing certain things and that that could again not, none of these are like one offs it's it's all of them but again that's part of it if you're telling them when to be there and there and when it comes to the hours i guess common sense to it meaning if you have like a like an in person premises and for instance maybe there's some security access again that's not necessarily applicable to us in the in the fitness especially the online fitness space but if anyone's listening and they have a brick and mortar, or maybe you're running an in-person gym, there might be certain things where like, well, you can't come in at this time because of X, Y, Z. So that's, so again, like there's some common sense to it. But that's the the question to ask yourself. And just in general, anything the time we're talking about the IRS, they purposely make things broad. So we're, we're always in the gray area. That's why they, they don't have like set rules. They have questions to ask yourself and questions they would, if you're an auditor, if you're either an auditor for the IRS or an auditor for the Department of Labor, how would they think to answer these? You know, it's not necessarily what you think. How would a third party auditor from the IRS or the Department of Labor, the DOL, how would they answer these questions if they saw how things worked 
between you and your contractor or you and your employee. So the next one is very similar to what we talked about before with some of the, again, is very similar. Is a full-time commitment required? Again, an employee would be so busy fulfilling your needs, they wouldn't be able to offer the services to others. In a competing contractor, they're running a business. They're going to be offering the services to multiple places. Is the work done on company premises? Again, that's less applicable to the online space. But And then the last one from the IRS, is the work performed according to a set sequence? So again, that comes back to the autonomy of the of the worker. If they have their own systems in place and you just are looking for a result, then they have their own sequence of tasks. But if you have your own systems that they're operating, it's more likely most people, most auditors would call that employee. So that's the, that, that's the federal. I don't think I read all 20. I think I read like 16 of them or 15 of them. So that's the federal side. Now we have, let's talk about the, the local side, the state side. And that is unfortunately more strict. The term is like the ABC test. If you're from California, you probably heard of the AB5 law. Basically some background on it. You know, like there can be, to, let me, I guess, take the defense of these annoying regulations first, because I get it. They're trying to protect the worker who's really an employee and they're getting just screwed over by some employer who doesn't want to pay them health insurance, who doesn't want to include them in the 401k. They want to underpay them based on minimum wage crimes. Like they're trying to be a dick. And so they're trying to protect workers from that. So I get the premise, but like anything, they went too far. Like they were trying to, and as I understand in California, they were specifically trying to quote unquote help the Uber and Lyft drivers and be like, hey, you guys are really employees. You shouldn't be considered independent contractors of Uber and Lyft. Okay. Well, I don't agree with that because again, I'm biased because I know how to take all my deductions and turn my personal expenses into legitimate business expenses and lower my tax bill. But maybe a lot of people doing Uber and Lyft they are business owners and they weren't really taking advantage of that. So they were getting crushed on taxes and it's just, so whatever. But that was why California came up with, well, I shouldn't say came up with, I don't know if they spearheaded it, but I think they did, but they came up with this AB5 law and it makes it more strict. And so it's an ABC test. There's three tests that they, they ask. And again, so in California, I forget how it got resolved. I believe they threatened to strike or maybe they, whatever it is, but it it forced a lot of business owners that were legitimately and fairly paying their people as contractors to have to go in and call them employees and bring them into their payroll. I'll get into that after this to talk about like, well, how do you pay the people? So the three parts of like the ABC test that California uses, Nevada does too, New Jersey, there's a bunch of states uses ABC test. So unfortunately, Vegas is uh, part of the same California problem. The first one is the worker is free to perform services without the control or direction of the company. So again, this is a test to see if they can be an independent contractor. So like we like similar to the IRS, you're completely free of the organization's control, both in contract and agreement. This is the next one that's important. 
The worker is performing work tasks that are outside of the usual usual course of the company's business activities. This is one I think that, that really hurts a lot of people, especially if you're in California or Nevada listening to this and your coaches are doing fitness coaching for you. This probably kills a lot of you. Like to use an example, a lawyer doing work for your fitness company you're not a legal company. So that's outside of the scope of your normal work. So they're contractors, like anyone that hires me, like if you're not doing the tax and CFO work for your business, like that's not what you guys do. You're doing uh, fitness and health and nutrition. That's outside of it. We're contractors. But when you have people giving fitness advice in your fitness company, this ABC test is that's probably a failure for you there. And the third one, the worker is customarily engaged in an independently established trade occupation or business of the same nature as that involved in the work performed. So you can engage in business for profit in the open market. Again, that's, we talked about it on the IRS side. It, this is shining a light on it. More importantly, like if you're not, if they're only doing what they're doing for you in California, Nevada, a lot of these states are going to say, Sorry, you have an employee. You don't have an independent contractor because you keep them so busy giving advice to your clients. They're not engaging in this business in the open market. They're likely an employee. So that's the testing that you need to go through. And that's the questions you need to ask yourself. And again, I would encourage you to ask yourself these questions, not as you, because you would love it if they were contractors. But if you were an auditor really looking at this from a third party perspective. Could you convince an auditor that this person really is an independent contractor? That's the way I would look at it. You know, if you could explain it to them and they would agree, then you can feel comfortable moving forward. If you think that you're really kind of fudging into the gray area a lot, then you probably, you probably know they really are an employee. You just have to deal with it. So what do you have to do? So they are an employee in this scenario. So now what's next? You need to put them on your payroll. And so that way you're withholding taxes for them. You're sending, you're giving payroll reports. Again, this is one of the reasons I'm not going to go into the details of this because this is one of the reasons I highly encourage people to use payroll providers. Like they're going to charge you a monthly or quarterly fee, but they're going to handle everything for you because you cannot not get in that habit of or accidentally misappropriating funds that are not yours. Like it's it's one thing to owe taxes to the IRS from your own wages, like you're a pass-through entity and you owe income taxes. But if you're spending these employees' funds because it's their withholdings or their unemployment that the you should be paying to the state or the federal, whatever it is. That's when you're starting to see like the things like the criminal charges and, and jail time, stuff like that, because that's, that's not your money. It's, it's, so I'm not going to get into the details of that, but that's basically what you need to understand. So you, you need to make sure that you get everything filled out for your clients on what they need. Um, that's everything that I wanted to go over with you guys. If they're an employee, they need to be brought into your payroll. You're going to need to do withholding for them. 
if they're a 1099 contractor, if they legitimately are, you just need to make sure you issue them the 1099 at the end of the year. So you're going to need them to fill out a W-9 for you, giving you like their address, their social, things like that. Now, the important part is here, if you fail to issue them a 1099, like if for whatever reason, maybe they want to get paid under the table. If you can't produce a 1099 for that person, guess what else you can't do? You can't write off what you paid them. So this is why it's so important as the employer, the business owner, I'll call it so we don't confuse employer, employee, as the business owner that you legitimately pay people above the table and you collect their W-9 and you issue them a 1099 because that's the only way you can legitimately write it off. If you were audited and they say, well, show me the 1099s for this $25,000 contractor and you didn't issue it because you paid them cash, guess what? You're not allowed to take that $25,000 tax deduction. So you paid them under the table, did them a huge favor, and now you get screwed. So that's that's basically it. I just wanted to go over this because I think it gets confusing for people as they're starting off their business and they're starting to to hire people to help them. I think sometimes they think it's it's up to them or they can they can decide, but really it's not it's it's a lot easier than that because the IRS pretty much has has rules and criteria on what they consider an employee. So Hopefully this is really helpful. I know I say it in most episodes, but if this has been valuable, please share it with a friend. If you have questions about it, or if you're not sure about your specific business, you can DM me. My Instagram is the Pat Darby. Same on TikTok, although I'm not very active on there. But I know this stuff is super confusing and you have a lot going on when you're running your business. So this is probably the something that you're least interested in. And even if you just want to run the scenarios, like, well, how much will it cost me to bring on these employees? It's not as much as you think, you know, it's, and there's, there's ways you can still do what you're trying to do financially with like retirement plans, stuff like that. It's, it's not the end of the world. If you have to lose your ability to do a solo 401k because you're building a team, there's a lot of things you can do. There's a lot of ways to still set it up so that your teammates are still I mean, quite frankly, it's it's exciting if you start offering some of these retirement plans and employee benefits to them because just like you know, like your friends that work for nine to five jobs, it kind of gives you like golden handcuffs to people because they they like what you're offering them and they don't want to just walk away from it. It makes you a more valuable employer to them. So, you know, turn your lemons into lemonade with this. You know, if if it is the fact that you're like, crap, I gotta convert these people to employees. And I'm going to start paying, like, you know, you do have to withhold from them. There's, there is some ancillary costs, you know, to this. It's not free when you hear people who run companies that have live employees, like it's, it's more than the salary you pay these people, but that also can be something you negotiate. I didn't really plan to get into that, but that's something you could negotiate. If you plan to pay someone a hundred grand, you know, just as a simple back the envelope math, if you're planning to pay someone a hundred grand, it'd be one of your head coaches then you also like you would owe payroll taxes on that whole hundred grand, but you could negotiate with them say, well, just for argument's sake, I'm just saying, let's say you plan to offer them full health insurance, maybe a couple other perks. I don't know. doesn't matter. Let's just say 
all your employee benefits come to like $10,000. So you really, in that scenario, you could present it like, all right, well, I'm going to pay you 90,000, but here's the $10,000 worth of perks you get. So to you, you still basically make a hundred K because maybe they're paying out of their out of pocket for their health insurance, whatever it is, but you, you still brought them a hundred thousand dollar package, but you structured it in a way that your payroll liability is only on 90 and the rest is fully deductible by the business, but it still nets out to a hundred to them. And it saves you $10,000 worth of those payroll taxes and, and all those other ancillary payroll liabilities. So that's, that's an area that could be its own podcast right there on employer benefits and things like that. But I just wanted to bring that up because I didn't want this to be a end in like a doom and gloom. My like, God, Jesus, I just found out a bunch of my contractors. I really need to start having conversations with them about bringing them on as actual employees on my payroll. Because again, in, in a lot of these scenarios, well, maybe not again, because I didn't talk about it before, but the problem also is if they're an independent contractor, but they shouldn't be, when you convert them, they lose all their perks of being a business owner. Again, that might be legitimate and you, you have nothing you can do about it. Like say, hey, like I confirm this with my tax person and you know, confirm it with maybe get a second opinion. But if that's the case, yeah, they're gonna they're probably gonna be pissed that they lose their ability to write things off and their travel and all that stuff. But if but that's going to be a hard conversation. So again, like you might be on the hook to try to bring some incentive packages to them inside your company. So again, I hope this has been been valuable. If you have any questions on it, you can DM me or email me info at DarbyBA. But yeah, I would love it if you share it, tag me. All right, guys, you have a great week. Thank you for joining us this week on Build Your Wealth Muscle. The links mentioned in this episode are available in the show notes. For video clips and more information on tax and retirement strategies for fitness entrepreneurs, please follow my Instagram at the Pat Darby. If you found value in this episode, please do us a favor and share with a friend. If you tag me, that'd be appreciated also. Lastly, for help implementing any of the topics discussed, please book a call. The link is also in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and have a great day.